You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, good evening. You guys can take a seat and you can join me in welcoming the latest uh, baptisms. Last weekend, we had Jimmy Nance who gave his life to the Lord. The weekend before that, we had Andrew Rogers and we just continue to celebrate the life change that you all, that each one of us have been experiencing. What a great season, huh? Just an awesome season to be part of the church family and have the privilege to see so many coming. It's good to see some of you back from vacation. I wouldn't expect to see some of you back so quick. But this Wednesday night, I, it was uh, our first uh, midweek with, with the first week of fall or spring break. And to see so many out that night and to celebrate the three days of missions that our teens and many of our adults were a part of. If you haven't heard about their trip Wednesday night, they gave their testimony and it was just a very, very encouraging time as they were down at Love City and Louisville exit zero and then up in Scottsburg at the water purification uh, mission there over 50 years has been providing clean water to a third world countries around the world. So I, I congratulate all of you who were out this week uh, serving the Lord in that way. Well, grab a Bible and turn with me tonight to Matthew chapter 6, a very familiar section of Scripture there, Matthew chapter 5 and 6, and kind of hold your place there because our cornerstone passage tonight is found in Philippians. A little bit later back in the New Testament, you'll find one of the letters, the letter of Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> As we wrap up our series tonight, looking at a subject that I'm personally very familiar with. In fact, one of our folks sitting on the back row tonight, I won't mention his uh, name, but, uh, but he's uh, Lenny right back there in the back. And uh, he, he asked me as soon as I came in tonight, he said, you take your medicine? And I said, a double dose. And I said, tonight we're talking about anxiety, anxiety. There are multiple causes of anxiety. There are genetics involved. So some of us tend to be anxious because that was passed down to us from our family members who experience anxiety. That's where some of mine comes from. There's performance anxiety. You say performance anxiety? You, you ask anyone who gets up here on this platform if they're anxious, and if they say they're not, they're about to get a serving of humble pie because something will happen that will make them anxious. And at the root of that anxiety, though, is our pride. Uh, none of us want to look bad, right? And so anxiety sometimes has a, a sinful root. We get anxious over situations that are unfamiliar to us. My goodness, the last couple of years have been filled with first times for many of us in our lives, first time experiences that have brought with it anxiety. Thankfully, God's word is replete with examples of men and women just like us, just like me, who dealt with anxiety in good ways and in bad. Beginning in the book of Genesis chapter 32, we have Jacob who stole his brother's birthright, Jacob and Esau. And you'll remember as Jacob was coming back home the first time after all of this went down, he was very anxious. Why was he anxious? He figured that his brother was going to meet him right there at the edge of the field for a whipping that he really had coming to him. And so he had anxiety because of that 
sinful act in his life, that broken relationship, that guilty conscience. Hannah, remember Hannah? Hannah who wanted so badly to be pregnant but was unable. Uh, she was the second wife of a, of a guy and, and first wife was still around, Penina. How'd you like to have a name like that, ladies? And she aggravated Hannah till she just couldn't stand it anymore. She would go to church and she would cry these tears, but she, she was anxious because of unfulfilled desires in her life. Esther, Esther who rose to be the queen had one of the most anxious moments as she laid her life on the line for the Jewish people. Why was she anxious? Because she was afraid. She was afraid of death. But not all anxiety is, is sinful. My most anxious moment will forever be my wedding day and the days leading up to that. After Sarah said yes to my handwritten proposal, yes, I wrote out my proposal and simply handed it to her to read, sign, and you know, it's like a prenup all in one. <laughs> but after that night when she accepted my proposal, I just knew that I was gonna be that guy standing up front and see her come to the door and then turn around and take off, right? In fact, I just knew there'd be a guy waiting out in the parking lot to take her with him. And so that day as I stood in a church uh, a little bit bigger than this one, the aisle was about twice as long and the room was packed. There were about 600 people there. And as I stood at the end of the aisle and those doors opened and I saw my beautiful bride, I began to hyperventilate. I was so anxious. In fact, I was wired up with a microphone. We had a friend who was a professional videographer. And so uh, I, I, I was hyperventilating. And you can go back and play the video and hear me breathing. And he was up in the balcony recording all of this, thinking that at any moment I was just going to hit the floor and pass out. And, and finally, she made it to the end of the aisle, and I was able to grab her hand so that she couldn't run away. And the peace that came over me as that anxiety dissipated. And I would say for the first 16 of our 18 years, we just celebrated our anniversary last Sunday, that I had very little anxiety when it came to our, to our relationship. Jesus said, be careful. He said, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with indulgence in wild pleasure. What, what in the world? We're talking about anxiety. Indulgence in wild pleasure, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. It's interesting that Jesus put anxiety right there with wild living and drunkenness. But Proverbs 12.25 says an anxious heart, an anxious heart just like drunkenness, just like wild living, worried about whether those wild oats that you've been sowing are gonna take root. Anxious hearts weighs a man down, and it does. Anxiety not only affects our health, do you know that there are over 100 different ailments that are tied directly back, physical ailments that are tied directly back to anxiety, your anxiety, my anxiety. But not only does anxiety impact our health, but it is also a relationship killer. 
And so in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul, the Apostle Paul addresses the source of our anxiety as conflict. A conflict that spills over into every aspect of our life. And so here's the definition that we're going to go with tonight. Anxiety at its core. Anxiety at its core is the conflict over who's in charge. And for the Christian, it's a conflict between God's Holy Spirit that lives inside of us being in charge or our own will, our own spirit, our human self. Now, before we get too far into this, let me, let me preface everything that I'm going to say tonight. That anxiety and the often resulting depression are not just simply spiritual issues or issues of faith. I want you to hear me on that because we're going to talk tonight a lot about faith. But anxiety also has a physiological, a chemical aspect. And so not all anxiety, we can help it first until we are chemically balanced until we've seen a professional who can help us in those ways, and then we can. Then we can align ourselves with what the Apostle Paul offers us tonight, which are four key truths to get our mind off of anxiety and on to him, and on to him. So first, he says in verse 4, notice where he begins here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And often when we're anxious, often when we are already depressed, the last thing that we want to do is rejoice. The last thing we want to do is run around with our hands up. The last thing we want to do is wear a smile. And that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is remember who you belong to. Remember who created you. Remember who set your life in motion. Accept the reality. That God did not make a mistake when he made you, but he allowed you to be exactly as you came into this world. But then he says, remember who reclaimed you. Do you rejoice in the reality that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth, that he dealt with all of the anxious moments that you and I do, that he did all of that and lived perfectly just to reclaim us, just to allow us to have that relationship with him that we could say we rejoice in him. And so he's saying when anxiety begins to rise, and we know when that is. This afternoon, about 3 o'clock, Sarah said, you going on down to church? I said, absolutely. Why are you going so early? I'm anxious. She hadn't read my sermon yet. When she got down here, she said, I read your sermon. No wonder you're anxious, you dummy. Yeah, you're going to be anxious. You're right, honey. And I'm not anxious anymore. You straighten me right out. But when anxiety begins to rise, move your focus off anxiety and move your focus onto your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, now listen to me when I say that because it's not just a trite saying, focus on Jesus. There's a whole lot more than just turning your mind over. There's a whole lot more than just when people say, well, just lay it at the feet of Jesus. Well, what about when you pick it right back up? What do you do? Rejoice in the Lord. Second verse, verse 5. In your anxious moments, let your gentleness be evident to all. I've shared oftentimes with some of my guy friends that have girls that they're raising. 
how we get anxious in moments, even moments, have you ever had your daughter uh, trip and fall or, or hurt themselves on something? And instead of saying, come here, baby, let me, let me fix that, you yell at them. Anybody done that? Why do we do that? It's because we get scared in the moment. We respond in those anxious moments in a way that is anything than what we really want to respond at. Why? Because we feel like we've lost control. We feel like the next one's just going to be that much worse. Think about what could have happened, honey. But it goes beyond our experience with our kids. Anxiety leaves us edgy. Anxiety leaves us worried that something will happen that we can't control. Paul says, so when you're anxious, try this on. Be gentle. Gentleness, the fruit of the Spirit. Takes you right back to rejoice in the Lord, doesn't it? Who's living inside of you? Instead of being anxious, instead of responding with anger, with, with fear, let gentleness, God's Spirit living inside of you, let it calm you. Be cool-headed. Let your gentleness be evident to all. When you're anxious, friends, it's the wrong time to post something on social media. When you're anxious, friends, it's the wrong time to send that personal message to someone about what you think or how you're feeling at the moment. Instead, surrender control to the Spirit, not your natural reaction. So rejoice in the Lord. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And remember, he says, that the Lord... The Lord is near. Now, some commentators like to use that as a threat, right? God's near. He's about to come. If he finds you anything but gentle, he's going to rip your head off, right? And so they, they like to throw that out and use it that way. But I think of it this way. I'm not alone. You know, when I'm at my highest point, when I'm at my highest point, God is there. When I'm at the darkest corner, He's there. In the depth of the sea, he's there. The Lord, the Bible says, is close to the brokenhearted. He's the defender of widows. He's a father to the fatherless. The Lord is not far from any one of us. And then in verse 6 of Philippians, Paul gets to the point. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray. Now, notice he says, he doesn't say try not to be anxious or it would really be better for you if you, if you didn't get anxious. But he says, do not be anxious. Do not be. It's a hard command. But do not be anxious. Instead, in all things, pray, and the peace of God will guard the two things that are impacted most by anxiety. Your heart in your mind. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a moment. Close your eyes. Now, Father, in this room right now, some people have noticed and some have not that there is an anxious moment as one of our beloved family members has, has a focal seizure, something that happens to her when she's mostly here by your grace that others can come around her and hold her hand and 
Father, she's experienced dozens of these, if not hundreds of these in her life, and it embarrasses her to death. And so, Father, right now, as they care for her and as they give her the next five minutes or so to recover, uh, we just ask that you would calm her, that you would calm those that are around her, that they would um, receive your peace right now. Thank you, Father, for your love for us in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, that's a tall order when Paul says don't be anxious about anything, but instead pray. Now, I want to be certain. If everybody needs to take a look, go ahead and take a look, and then let's get back focused again. Everybody had their look? All right. When he says don't be anxious about anything, instead pray. What he's talking about isn't just a flippant thing of, oh, just, just pray about it, right? He's talking about a total change in mindset, a total, total perspective change about what it is to do instead of being anxious. He's talking about Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. I want you to flip there with me because it's a great Great, great understanding that will help you and help me in so many ways if we'll apply it. Matthew chapter 6. And what's interesting is if you look at chapter 5, you're going to see that Jesus is right in the middle of teaching on this very subject himself. You've heard some of the uh, words, maybe you heard them when you were young. Uh, the, don't, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink, right? Don't worry about what you wear. Why? Because God takes care of the birds of the air and God dresses the lilies in the field greater than Solomon's splendor, right? And so Jesus is teaching about anxiety He's talking about circumstances and conflicts in our life to create anxiety. And so when Paul says pray, he takes us all the way back to Jesus' words. And notice where he begins, the same place that Paul takes us. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, the Lord who's near. And Jesus says, when you pray, begin by declaring the greatness of who you're talking to. The greatness of God. He's saying, I want you to give your full attention to the one who has invited you to call him Father. Sounds something like this. Our Father, who's in heaven, hallowed, holy, to be exalted, to be revered, is your name. Now, Romans 8.15 tells us that our, our baptism, we received the spirit of sonship. We received the Holy Spirit. And so it's by that spirit that we have this relationship with God. It's why we can call him Father. It's why we can call him Abba, which means Father. And now, I know in my anxious moments, and I bet it might be similar in your life, that when we become anxious, when anxiety comes into our mind, our mind is on anything but God. Here Jesus says, you can come to God with anything, but begin here. Begin here by reflecting on the significance of that name and the relationship that that name reflects. Have you ever thought about that? In that anxious moment when your mind is just in some place it should not be, and even when you recognize that it's in a place you don't want it to be, and you think, okay, Dave says, the Bible says, to pray. Have you ever gone this far? 
to actually set your mind on the greatness of God? Anybody want to shout out something great about God tonight? Just, just give me something great. Give me something great. We, we should know 10 things great about God just like that. He's holy. He's forgiving. He's powerful. What? He's loving. He created the earth. What? What? Provider. Right? I want you to say it with confidence. These are the things of God. These are his character attributes. And this is how we should begin our prayer. Yes, people have taught us all different ways to pray. And Jesus isn't being legalistic here to say every time I want you to say, Our Father who art in heaven. Right? He's not saying pull out the prayer book and give me three Our Fathers and then you'll get released of your, your sin or whatever. He's saying I want you to focus on who it is you're talking to. And man, when you start focusing on his greatness, his power, his love, his forgiveness, the fact that he's ever-present, that he's all-knowing, well, doesn't it begin to put whatever you're anxious about in its proper perspective against who it is that you have the privilege of being a son or a daughter to? The songwriter penned this song, and many of the songs that we sang tonight Reflect on this. Remember the song, Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the roaring thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. And what's he say his result is when he thinks about those things? He says, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art. And so Jesus says, you dwell on that. You dwell on who it is that you're talking to and see if your anxiety doesn't begin to dissipate. Next, Jesus comes to the part of the prayer that when you stop and think about it, it's the part that we want to circumvent. It's the part that we want to skip over. Or if you're just a really good Christian, you'll just throw it out there so that he'll answer your prayer. And that's where we say, your will be done, not my will but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we know, we know that in heaven everything lines up. But down here on earth, this is my world. This is my house. This is my job. This is my health. This is my family. So we'll throw out a token, your will be done. But what we really mean is give me what I want. But this is where, this is where the magic happens. This is where life change happens. It sounds something like this. God, I want you to know that your agenda in this situation, I, I just have a feeling it's far bigger <laughs> than what I'm seeing right now. Uh, Father, I, I, I really want things this way. I was telling somebody the other day that I prayed for for, uh, for something for over 20 years, and God finally gave it to me. He, he gave it to me exactly as I asked him to. Exactly. And when I walked into it, it took me, let's say two hours, I think it was much less than that, to cry out to him and say, I am so sorry, God. How dare I tell you what is best for me? And I repented of it. And for the last 25 years of my life, I have not 
commanded him or asked him to do anything in my life outside of what he thinks is best. I've only asked him for the strength which he promises to endure whatever it is. This is the part of the prayer when we surrender what I think is best for my situation to what God knows is best. I trust you, God. I'm letting go of this and I'm placing it in your hands according to the promises you've made. And this is where we need to know what God's promises are so that we understand what it is that we're expecting from him. Because you can expect, some people say you can name it and claim it. The thing is, is you need to name and claim the promises, not something that you've made up or someone else has. Now, is this a two-minute prayer? Is it a five-minute prayer? Is it in a closet? Is it up on a mountain? Is it in the tree stand? Is it in the car? Is it in the front of the church on your knees? Is it a prayer that goes on for days or months or even years? Well, John chapter 11 John chapter 11, you'll remember the prayer. Maybe you won't remember the prayer. You just remember the part where Lazarus, Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. But Jesus spoke a 36-word prayer that lasted less than 20 seconds to raise Lazarus from the dead. Don't believe me? Count the words. They're on the screen. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. 36 words, the way I count it. Maybe you want to add in 20 more, whatever. But he said this prayer and then raised a man from the dead. Yet on the night that Jesus was about to give his life for us the next day on the cross for the sins of all mankind, in Luke 22:39, he prayed all night. He prayed until drops of blood came from his glands. For hours he wrestled and prayed. And the reason the prayer took so long was because he recognized that he didn't want to be any place as a man because he was a God-man. And he didn't want to be any place other than right in the center of God's will. Whatever it was that God wanted, that's what he wanted. Let not my will be done, but yours be done. Take this cup from me, God. I, I don't want to do this unless it's really what you're expecting. And it was. And he did. And so the length of our prayer isn't determined by the willingness of God. The length of our prayer is determined by the condition of our heart. Can you see? Can you, can you see how this changes anxiety can, can you see it as just a possibility that your anxious moments can be can be given over to peace if we aren't to the place where we can recognize and declare the greatness of God I'll suggest to you that God's going to let you stay there for a while and if you're not at that place yet in your life where you can say, God, I want your will in my life and not my own, I, I'm just going to tell you from my own experience, he's going to let you stay there for a while. He let me stay there 20 years. And then he taught me a lesson when he gave me exactly what I asked for. For some, it's five minutes. Other times we need to say, okay, God, I want to surrender to you, but I'm just not there yet. And God says, okay. 
Let's just stay here for a while and let's wrestle for a while. And some, some of us wrestle for years. <laughs> some of us wrestle for months. Some for days and hours. And in those moments of relinquishing control to God, the Bible says he guards the very core of our being, the very root, listen, of what we're afraid of. <laughs> what we're afraid of losing that brings about the anxiety. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your what? Your heart and your mind, the very core of who you are. Paul is saying to our anxious heart, God's got this, God's got you, you've been sealed, you've been protected, you've been guarded by his Holy Spirit that has come to you when you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. Next. Look what Jesus says next. He finally gets to it, and he says, give. Give. Give us today our daily bread. Well, I don't like bread. Thankfully, that's not what he's talking about. Jesus begins the list with daily bread, and his disciples, though, they knew exactly what he was talking about because they had heard stories from their ancestors. You know the stories that we hear from our parents about God did this or God did that or our family did this or your uncle's been in jail for 30 years, you're going to be in jail for 20 years if you don't change your ways, right? Right? We've all had those stories passed down to us and, and they've had these stories passed down to them about how God, when God called his nation Israel together and he brought them out of Egypt, out of the slavery that they were in and some of us have those same stories of how God is bringing us out of depression. God's bringing us out of anxiety. God, God's bringing us out of our fear. God's bringing us out of our past. And every day, not just for 40 days, but for 40 years, every morning when they got up, God provided them bread, manna from heaven, to provide only for that day. Well, why not just send it out for like a week at a time or, or two months at a time? Because God knows us and he knows that we need to learn, that we need to depend on him daily, that we need to trust that tomorrow morning, although it brings with it its own troubles, it brings with it the opportunity to receive from him what it is that he has promised to give us. And so what Jesus is saying is, I want you to declare your dependence on God for what you need today. That's what give us this day our daily bread means. It means declare your dependence on God for what you need today. Today. What is it that you need today? What is it that you need in your most anxious today? Well, sometimes that's comfort. He's promised you his comfort. He's the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles, 2 Corinthians 1, 4, 3 says. Sometimes that's strength. God will strengthen you. He will uphold you with his righteous right hand, the Bible says. Maybe it's strength that you need for today. Maybe it is food. Maybe it is clothing. Maybe it is relationship. Has God sent that person to you? That person to you just to encourage you that day, that note? 
Sometimes it's work. Sometimes it's the courage just to get out of bed and do what he's called you to do as a husband, as a wife, as a mom or a dad or a student or a Christian. You see, when we let anxiety go too far and it creates this chemical imbalance in us, Sometimes when I sneeze like that, I have to turn the windshield wipers on only to realize it's on the inside, right? <clears throat> Some of you get that in a little bit. But when we've let anxiety go far and it be far, so far that it becomes depression, sometimes we don't feel like we have what it takes to even get out of the bed, to go to work, to go to school. But yet, but yet, we are responsible for taking that first step. That first step in trusting, in trusting that he will give us what we need in that moment. And he'll be there for the next. And then he says in verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now here's a big one. And many times, many times, preachers like me, we like to use this verse to, to say, now, if you're really going to withhold forgiveness, you know, God's going to withhold forgiveness from you, right? Anything we can hold over your heads, we like to do, right? What Jesus is saying here is recognize that, listen, if God can forgive sins, which he's the only one who can, if God can forgive your sins, and he does, if God can forgive your sins and he asks you to forgive the sins of others that have been committed against you by which he promises his spirit inside of you to give you the power and the strength to do, if God can do all of that, well, can he not deal with this anxious moment? I mean, if God can forgive the sins of the world with one sacrifice, can't he deal with this? And I say, no, <laughs> not today. I'm going to deal with it. If we can take God at his word that he's forgiven our sins, then listen, we can trust him with the conflict that has brought anxiety. We can trust him with our relationship crisis. We can trust him with our disagreements. We can trust him with our disease. We can trust him with our lack of confidence. We can trust him with the anxiety that conflicts stir inside of us. When we look at the cross, when we look at the cross and we see how much God loves us and cares for us, that he would die for us, it demands a response. And 1 Peter 5, 7 gives us that response. Cast all your anxiety on him. Because why? He cares. He cares for you. In verse 13, Jesus concludes, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, the interesting thing is the prayer just ends here. There's no, and we thank you, Father, and there's no amen, may it be so in my life, unless you got the King James Version translated in 1611, where there's a whole sentence that was added. It was not in the original text, but it was added that says, and to thine be the glory and the power forever, and then you get the amen. It was added because it makes it pretty. But Jesus never said it. 
It just concludes, and lead us not in temptation. The Bible tells us that God doesn't tempt us, but we ourselves are tempted by our own evil desires. We're tempted by our anxiety. We're tempted by our own fear. But when temptation comes, when anxious moments come, the Bible says he'll provide a way out so that we can stand up against it. And that way, that way is prayer. That way is Jesus Christ. So don't be anxious about anything, Paul says, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus, our Lord, with thanksgiving. Boy, that's two words that are overlooked when we're anxious, aren't they? When we're depressed, when we pray, when we come before the Lord with our anxiety, with thanksgiving, he says, present your request to God. Thanksgiving for what? This is where we should have a list of 10 or more things that come just like that, just like bullets, right? What are you thankful for? What are you thankful for about God? Well, I'm thankful that God is the God. The God, not a God, but he is the one and only. He is God. I'm thankful that I'm his, that we are his, that we can call him father, that it is he who says who he is, he is. I'm thankful that we can trust him. He's never, he's never failed us, and he won't fail us. We just sang about that. We can trust him. He's proven himself, and he's promised to guard and protect what matters most, the very soul of who we are, our heart and our mind, a soul that was worth saving when he gave Jesus life to buy us back from all the things that want to make us anxious. Anxiety. Anxiety at its core is the conflict over who's in charge. Who's in charge? Is it going to be God or is it going to be me? Because Jacob took control and stole what wasn't his, he was anxious. Hannah, even in her deepest desire to have a child, would not trust God's timing. And so she was anxious. Esther, certainly the fear of death, but my friends, death should not have that type of hold over us. But we've proven that it does. <laughs> we've proven that it does, and so that's one that we, I know we need to grow in. We need to be so certain that even death itself does not bring anxiety. God, the creator, the sustainer, the savior, and Lord, he's near. He's just across the room. Just like Sarah, just like Sarah, my most anxious moment in the very back of the room. God is that close. God is that close. And he's waiting for us to walk down the aisle, to walk across the office, and to take him by the hand and speak the name of Jesus. 
I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I believe that you are, that God, your name is hallowed, that it's holy, that there's only one of you, that you're all powerful, that you're all knowing. I believe you are the Christ, the son, the one and only son, begotten by virgin birth. Oh, something that's claimed a lot these days, but let me tell you, this was the real deal. one and only Son of God, that whoever would believe in Him, I believe. It's the one thing that He asks. God says, you, you believe, then you receive. Will not perish. No more fear of death and the sting of death, but will have everlasting Life. The moment you take your last breath here, you take your first breath in his presence. That's what it is to speak the name of Jesus, to speak it over your anxiety at school, to speak it over your anxiety at home, to speak it over your anxiety with your health or whatever the situation is that has you up against the rails. Yes. Yes, there are chemical imbalances. My friend, anxiety begins and it ends with a choice. And the choice is Jesus or it's me. My hope is that you'll walk across the room and that you'll make it Jesus. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this series, for this opportunity, Father, to recognize just how close you are. And so tonight, Lord, may we, may we step into your presence and may we acknowledge you for who you are. And may you, Father, begin that change in our heart as we cry out to you and we submit to your will and what it is that you want to accomplish. And we trust you with that. And we lay it down as many times as we have to, trusting that if you could even forgive us of our sins, that you can handle whatever this is. We love you, Father, and your love for us, well, it's incredible. May we stand in that tonight. Amen. Come if I can help you take your next step.